and welcome to The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. Clarion are one of the leading law firms in Leeds with a team of experienced and dedicated lawyers who are passionate about helping their clients achieve their goals. For Clarion, it's all about relationships. They know that strong relationships create energy and deliver better results for you. In this podcast, we'll get to know some of Clarion's lawyers, reveal some of the law surrounding pop culture, and find out how Clarion's holistic approach develops effective and practical long-term client solutions by fully understanding both the business and the prevailing market. I'm Ian Brannan, and in this episode, we'll find out how partners at Clarion have been involved in the redevelopment of the city of Leeds over the last 30 years. The council has managed to spearhead the culture where you can have both economic success and preservation of the historic environment, which is to everybody's benefit. Times are tough right now for business. So how can Clarion help your business grow? even in an austere external environment. And I think the most important thing for any business that's looking to grow is to surround itself with very, very clever people who have been there, done that and bought the T-shirt. But first, let's find out about the career journey one of the Clarion partners took to reach their current role. Our first guest today and joining us in the purple chair is Stephanie Parrish, a private wealth partner at Clarion. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, thank you for having me. Welcome to the Purple Chair. So private wealth, Mm. let's get into this. What does that term encompass? Where does having money end and having wealth begin? I think as as lawyers, the term private wealth, it doesn't really say what it does, does it? If you're an employment lawyer, everybody knows what you do. If you're a corporate lawyer, everybody knows what you do. What, what on earth is private wealth? So um, private wealth is an area of law that deals predominantly with individuals. So we're not usually dealing with corporate structures per se. We're dealing with people, but they may be people who work in businesses. And we're dealing with their wealth. But to be clear, we're not financial advisors. I'm not a wealth manager. I'm not a banker. I don't actually manage their wealth. I don't tell them where to put it and how to invest it. But I tell them the, and I advise them on the legal aspects of how to protect their wealth and how to pass it on normally intergenerationally down to the next, to their kids, to their grandkids in a protective tax efficient way. So there's probably two elements to my job. Um, one is lifetime planning. So helping clients who are still with us and alive and who want to know how to maybe prepare a will or powers of attorney, how to look after and be able to plan their wealth for, for the future. And then the other sometimes more sadder side of my job is dealing with estates when people have passed away. So um, helping families who have recently been bereaved manage that process, that legal process after death. The whole subject of, you know, estate planning and, and, and managing a family's wealth is a, is a huge area. We're going to get more into that in a moment. First of all, give us um, a look at what your day-to-day role looks like. What's the, what's the average day in the life of Stephanie? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so um, the average day at work, let's keep it at that. So the average day at work is really varied. So there's, as I'm sure... Anyone at Clarion tells you there is absolutely no two days the same, which is what attracted me to the profession. Um, So, for example, yesterday I managed this this phenomenal team of lawyers that do exactly the same as what I've just explained. And we will have, for example, technical meetings where we we talk about points of law or interesting clients that we've got on. I meet a lot of clients, though. I see a lot of families. And that's the best bit about this job is you meet a lot of clients who have got questions, who've got problems, who've got 
things that are keeping them up in the middle of the night or they've lost someone and I you get to talk to all of those people so a lot of my day is doing that or I might be meeting other professional contacts who refer clients into us or we might refer work back so accountants financial advisors who similarly help these clients I'll get to meet them a lot um I get to see clients out of the office that we don't make them come into the office very often. We will go out and see them at home or at their business. Um, so, yeah, a lot of travel, varied, helping the team, supporting the team, seeing clients. It's varied. <laughs> Obviously, as you touched on there, you, you deal with people at, in, in very tough times sometimes in their life. It's very different to, to dealing with a client perhaps who's just on a, an everyday basis. You, you do come into some very awkward situations, sensitive personal matters from clients who maybe lost a loved one. They've got all that other stuff going on uh, at that time in their lives. But how does that affect your interactions with them? Yeah, you, you do need a particular skill set to do private wealth work. You need to be an excellent listener. You need to be able to uh, have great empathy with the client who's going through, as you said, a really difficult time. They've just lost someone. They are it's a completely new process. Who knows? Unless you've been through the process of probate or the, the process after someone dies, who knows what that is? You don't get taught that. So we have to explain them at their pace with how they're feeling, their process and uh, where they are in grieving as to what this legal process is. And that process can take a year in some cases, if not more. So, so you're in with them for the long run. So you really need to be able to build that good relationship with them of trust. They can tell you everything that's worrying them. They can be honest with you about what needs to happen with the estate and who's getting what and sorting out the tax. And so it's a really particular set of skills to do private wealth work that, that you learn on the job. But I think some people just also have it inherently in them. Absolutely. It's a you know, very specialist area. What was the path, though, that led you to Clarion? How did, how did you find yourself here? Probably I'm the most traditional lawyer to get where I am. Um, I know there's a lot, a lot more interesting ways that you can get into a career in law these days. But as I said, I'm very, I was very traditional. So I started at Clarion um, as a trainee solicitor in 2008 and I've never been anywhere else since. So they've just not been able to get rid of me basically um, for 15 years this year. But before that, I did an undergraduate law degree straight after my A-levels. I went to university, did an undergraduate law degree at Leeds. Then I went straight on no gap year to do my LPC, which is like the legal training course that I did in Leeds as well. I'm an absolute Yorkshire girl. I, I, I don't travel far uh, in that regard. Uh, and then went straight to Clarion and started my training contract. And then I've just developed through there, through promotions to now partner and managing the private wealth team. So pretty boring, actually, compared to some people who've been at lots of different places. <laughs> a, full, a full career girl, though. Okay, yeah, Clarion. Pur purple through and through is what they say. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, what was it that attracted you to Clarion there? How did, how did you end up at Clarion in the first place? To be honest, when I applied for my job at Clarion as a trainee, I was only in first year at uni. So I didn't really know what I was looking for. You're very naive at that age. You just want a job, don't you? I suppose the question is more, what's kept me there? What's kept me there for 15 years? And that's that's more about the culture and the support you get there. And that that growth that I said that's been very organic growth. We, we've grown from when I started... As a, as a trainee to where we are now is an absolutely phenomenal path. And that is not through buying other law firms. That's not through, you know, there's lots of firms out there that will just buy smaller practices and that's how they grow. We don't grow that way. We grow organically by selecting the, the best 
talent from the pool of lawyers in the region and nationally. And that's how we've grown and kept the culture. And that's really special. And I just, I've not left because I don't think you could really replicate that anywhere else. Um, and, I, and as I said, they've got a great network of clients. They've got a great network of referrers and professional contacts. I can call on anyone in Clarion. If I've got a question for a client on a probate, I can literally walk to their desk. We're all in the same building and I, I can answer any client question. There's not a client question that can be thrown at me that that I can't answer in that building. And again, I don't think you would get that anywhere else. And, and, and your proof as well of, of the development that's available at Clarion too, aren't you? That you, you started off there as a trainee and, and you've worked your way through. So there is yeah. there are plenty of opportunities yeah. for personal development yeah. to take your career wherever you want it to go. Yeah, there is. And um, in, in private wealth, in the area that I do, there's a lot of professional exams that you can do. You know, even once you're a qualified solicitor, there are certain accreditations that Clarion have, have paid for us to and supported us through. Most of my team now are fully step qualified, which is an additional qualification for this area of law, or they're going through those exams and the firm has wholeheartedly supported that. But the, so that, but there's also this, this other area of Clarion, which is, I suppose, like the extracurricular side. It's not the client facing side. It's not the client winning side. It's, it's the, these groups that we have at Clarion, which are for our well-being, I suppose. So they're called the being groups. So there's, there's being one, which is all about um, trying to understand and, and enhance the diversity of Clarion. Or there's being green, which is trying to monitor our carbon footprint. And you can get engaged with all of these different groups. There's a social group, there's a well-being group, there's a charitable group alongside your day job to, to just really enhance and enjoy working there um so so yeah we're, we're really fortunate it's it, it's a hard job is being a lawyer it's you know don't come into this profession thinking it's an easy job but but if you pick the right place to work at the way you can have this real uh, holistic opportunities i suppose in your professional life and alongside like that it, it's brilliant and i also i also should probably point out there so supportive of a family life. So, so I'm I'm a working mum. I, I I've got two little kids. I've got a husband who's all you know also got a very demanding job as well. But Clarion support you through that, and that again means that from a development perspective, you can flourish because you feel like all of your needs are being met at home, your personal life, your professional qualifications, and the clients that you're getting exposed to. And that maybe brings us on to the next question, really. But why why should a client use Clarion for their private wealth work rather than another, another law firm? There's, there's plenty of choices. What's the Clarion difference? Technical excellence is, is number one. Um, and obviously, I would say that. But the team, uh, there's, there's seven fully qualified lawyers and le- uh, legal executives in our team who are phenomenally experienced and, and technically brilliant at what they do and that and that should be that should that should be an absolute given but they're also extremely personable and you need that when you're going to be working alongside someone and telling them your worries and your thoughts about your family you need to be able to open up to someone so they're they're extremely personable and they will challenge you so you get for example um quite often an initial no obligation hour with us uh, you know, no strings attached, just to talk through your family. And we will really question you about your family. You know, we want to know about the next generation. What are your worries? Who are they married to? And what about the kids? And is there a blended family here? Have we got children from previous relationships? How does that all work? So it's not just a case of you come and see a, a Clarion private wealth lawyer and you tell us what you want and we do it. That's very transactional and not what we are. We really want to get to know you, get to know your family, 
we're well, inherently really nosy as well, I suppose. Um, so we want to get to know you because that's how we add the value. We, we've seen this. We, we, there's nothing that will shock us about your family. And we can probably more often than not add something, even if you think you've got everything organized. So, so yeah, I suppose it's that technical excellence, that, that personal skills, and, and we will give a lot of added value. That's what I think sets us apart. <laughs> and, and in your time at Clarion, you said 15 years, I think, yeah. uh, now since, since you first began there. What are you personally most proud of? Oh, the growth of the firm over these 15 years and, and keeping that culture and not being tempted to sell out or to buy firms that are going to change that culture is one of the biggest proud achievements, I think, as a firm we've, we've kept. Obviously, we've won loads of accolades and and loads of awards over the years, and I could I could list all those. But it's that keeping the culture, having a really, I suppose, happy team. I like to think that the team is that I work in is is really supported and happy, and uh, they've they've come on technically leaps and bounds in these fifteen years as well. So um, there's not one thing I suppose that I'm proud of. I'm proud that I obviously made my partner, but. It's never about the individual partner. It's about what you're doing for your for your team and how you're supporting and progressing them. And, and I think the, the private wealth team at Clarion are phenomenally punching above their weight. Well, it, it sounds like you you love your job at Clarion yeah. and um, uh, 15 years gone and, and, and plenty plenty more ahead. See I what the next 15 years bring, yeah. Okay, lovely. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, chatting with us, Stephanie. Thank you. This is The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. Planning law is complex, balancing the needs to protect our environment and preserve heritage while still allowing modern development. In a city such as Leeds, where considerable regeneration has been achieved over the last 30 years, this must have been a mammoth balancing act. Our next guest joining us in The Purple Chair is Carolyn Lord, a Clarion partner specialising in planning law. Hi, Carolyn. Hello. You've been actively involved in the transformation of Leeds over the last 30 years. How has Leeds, from your point of view, changed over that time? Over the last 30 years, the centre of gravity of the city centre has shifted south. I think that's quite a big thing that everybody would have witnessed. Um, I mean, clearly Leeds Station was the, and the river, River Air, were the, they were the sort of defining southern points for the city centre. And that has definitely changed. Um, I was fortunate enough before I um, decided to qualify as a solicitor to work in Leeds City Council's Urban Development Unit uh, in the 80s. So we go back further than 30 years here. Um, And Leeds City Council were um, at the forefront, really, of um, private-public partnerships in order to in order to regenerate the the town centre so the areas next to the river river air were just derelict wastelands um which is hard to believe now and their strategy back in the um, in the mid 80s was to was to bring those forward and that has happened so that shifting south first of all to the river banks and now down to south bank um is 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 definitely um one of the big shifts so the i mean more most recently clearly the south bank projects that Lee city council have have pioneered so strongly over the last 10 years um has is coming to fruition that's doubling the side of the city center additionally out of centre, um, particularly through the through the nineties, there was a big move to out of centre activity. So schemes like Thorpe Park, 
which came on the back of the new A1, what was the new A1 M1 link road um, back in the 90s. So that is obviously a huge part of the landscape now, a new eastern front door to Leeds. Um, I was very lucky that I dealt with Thorpe Park um, and the and partly the new motorway junctions and the, um, the the infrastructure around that, that that has been a game changer. Same with White Rose Centre, which also at the same time, actually, as Thorpe Park, I was dealing with the White Rose Centre. Um, that was a derelict wastewater treatment work site because um, wastewater treatment plants, the technology's changed, the footprints are much, much smaller. So all the land that was taken by that infrastructure is gone. And so a better use was found, which was, which was the White Rose Centre. Um, and there's a White Rose Office Park next door which is um, obviously very very successful and that's now got, it, got its own rail station um, another site Kirksville Forge it's a difficult site to develop there's a fantastic office block there that's winning many many accolades uh, and that's another exciting thing that's happening out of centre what would you class then as some of the most remarkable changes that you've been involved in the very skyline has changed visibly but there's been many other changes to the city centre what would be the, the standout ones for you over your time in the city centre, uh, it's quite noticeable the tall buildings. Leeds does, as a planning authority, has a tall building strategy, and that has been fascinating. Again, been very lucky to be involved in that. My my colleague at Clary and Kate Butterfield and I have worked together since the, since believe it or not, nineteen ninety, and she dealt with Bridgewater Place, which was of course Leeds's tallest building for a long time. That remains the tallest building until just a couple of years ago when Altus Tower, behind the Merrion Centre, came in. That was for one of my clients. I didn't act on that, but that was one of my clients who got that. And then um, I got planning permission with my client CEG uh, for what is now, when built, will be Leeds' tallest building, which is in Holbeck, between Globe Road, actually, and, and the canal. Definitely the tall buildings is is a remarkable change. But I have to say that the drive along East Leeds Orbital Route down to Thorpe Park, you know, that is a huge change. I was brought up from being very small, travelling on Leeds Outer Ring Road. And the, the problems economically and socially that that has in not being able to move sort of west to east um, or east to west on, on that route have been terrible. So the East Leeds Orbital is a, it's been a long time in the making. I was very lucky I acted on that very early on to try and, you know, to lay the groundwork for that um, for a long time. That is a really positive change um, as well. Looking at the role of heritage preservation, we've got some very old buildings in and around Leeds, a lot of history involved in the city. How do you balance preservation with modern development? Leeds City Council's always had a policy of, of saving, repurposing and bringing into economic use heritage buildings. Um, and they give, they give the city so much more character um, amongst well-designed new builds. The legal test when you have um, historic assets like listed buildings is that you're seeking to avoid harm essentially to their historic interest. Um, and so that's that's what you're always, always trying to do. And I think Leeds has been very successful on that going right back to the, to, to the 80s and right through that the council has managed to spearhead a culture where you can have both economic success and preservation of the historic environment, which is to everybody's benefit. It takes a long time from you know the initial uh, planning stages to, to realisation to these uh, developments coming into use. You have the benefit of seeing a little bit into the future. So if we were time travelling forward another 30 years in time, say, for example, with Leeds, how do you think Leeds would look? What should we get excited about and, and how do they align to the city's long-term goals? I mean, it's no surprise that I will say we need mass transit. We need improved local transport services, which West Yorkshire Combined Authority are now spearheading, you know, with some government support, looking at um, 
not just looking at within Leeds as a district, but looking at that combined West Yorkshire presence, so that linking the other the other principal cities and towns in West Yorkshire, and that has to be the way forward. I mean, secondly, it would be lovely if British Library can bring their northern presence um, to Leeds, which you know is absolutely um, the intention. Again, it's a project I'm working on at Temple Works. Um, which is a grade one listed building at risk um, and has been for, for many, many years. So again, in 30 years time, I would love to feel that that, that, that was there and that I'd played my part in bringing that back to Leeds. And, and looking at the, the clients that you work with, and obviously there are many of them, what are the biggest issues in general that, that the clients that you deal with have day to day? I think that clients get frustrated because local government is under stress. Um, as we all know, um, you know, resourcing is tight. You know, planning officers are under a lot of strain to try and process the amount of applications they're getting through. Um, there are time scales, target time scales. There are statutory time scales. They will try their best. And um, I think that clients sometimes don't understand. You know, that there are there's a pile, there's a queue, and um, they're part of that queue. And our job um, as as planning solicitors is to, you know, we have good relationship with planning officers and um, and planning solicitors in in local authorities. I think that it goes a long way understanding understanding those you know the genuine issues that they have and seeing what we can do to make their job easier by providing the right information first time so that it doesn't have to go through a few iterations before an application for instance can get determined so I think that's one thing that is again I think that's quite a well-known issue and but a day-to-day that you you definitely do see that the second um, issue I think that people generally don't realize how rooted planning is in statute and policy. It's not a free-for-all. It's not what committee members feel like on the day and, you know, do they like this or not? It's not that. Every authority in the country has to have a development plan. As a matter of law, the starting point to determining a planning application is the adopted development plan. What What do the policies say? Those policies have been tested through public consultation and engagement and scrutinized. So those policies are the starting point. It's highly regulated by law and policy is what dictates how development happens in a city or a, or anywhere. Finally then, Caroline, what would be your advice to anyone listening to this that, that has a planning issue? Planning is part of public law and so everything is transparent and publicly available. So the .gov.uk website has on it many planning resources, um, the National Planning Policy Framework, the Planning Practice Guidance, which are the policy tools which local planning authorities and people like me deal with. That's all there for people to read themselves, but there's a lot of it. So you can start getting a feel for any issue that you might have um, quite easily through those resources. But um, my experience is that where there is an issue, people come can come too late and the problem can't be over, overcome. I think once people have understood how it can be helpful to have early input to frame your whole case without having any hostages to fortune, saying anything that you'd rather you haven't said because it might undermine a later case, then people then realise that it is really useful to have taken professional advice early from whoever it may be. Great advice. So get get the advice early and uh, leave no stone unturned uh, right from the very start. Thanks very much for joining us, uh, Caroline. Some great advice and, and lovely chatting to you. Thank you. This is The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. I'm Ian Brannan, and every episode we're going to explore one of the themes that Clarion excel in, 
And in this episode, let's chat about business growth with Jonathan Sims, Clarion partner and corporate lawyer, and Mel Hurd, who is a Clarion client, the founder and director of Fresh Thinking Capital. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the Purple Chair. Hi, Ian. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Jonathan, first to you. um, How can legal support be a strategic asset for businesses looking to grow and innovate? That's a good question. Uh, I guess ultimately, ignorance is bliss. But you know what you don't know, you don't know. And I think the most important thing for any business that's looking to grow is to surround itself with very, very clever people who have been there, done that, and bought the T-shirt. I talk to tons of clients all the time, and I learn off them. I mean, we're we're busy growing Clarion. You know, we're the third fastest uh, growing law firm in Europe. Uh, but that's been done from from almost sitting down with a lot of our clients, like Mel, and going, "Well, you know, how have you done it? How are you looking at things?" And then Mel will then ask us questions and go, "Well, how are you looking at that? Or how are you doing with staffing issues? Or how are you getting people back to work? What's the policy you're adopting? Or how are you trying to adopt new market strategies? Or you know, what what are you doing around raising capital?" You know, constantly talking to people. At the end of the day, people buy people. And I think spending that time and surrounding yourself with really good quality individuals who you can sit, relate to, listen to, learn from, grow with as well is a core foundation in terms of what Clarion's all about. You know, we very much adopt the partnership approach. Uh, for me, some of our biggest clients were once our smallest clients. Uh, and that's been down to by having symbiotic growth together. Um, you know, I've loved some of the journeys that I've gone on. It's been a big part of my career. And it's great to, to, you know, to sit there to now look at some of these amazing businesses that have been established and we've been along the journey with them. And, and when businesses come to you at Clarion, what factors are you typically helping businesses with? We act for all sorts of different shapes and sizes. One size does not fit all. It could be a startup uh, who's looking to raise capital and starting their really exciting journey, or it could be an established business, or a large corporate who's, who's you know, on, on the aim or, or the FTSE with lots of different problems, whether it's employment, debt recovery, property, M&A, mergers, acquisitions, you know, uh, joint ventures, share schemes, uh, bringing in, you know, learning and developing their management team, skilling them up, getting them some shares in the business. All those really exciting things around, you know, ultimately growing that collective you know, set of people then to, then to create that amazing business. When people think of solicitors, they probably think of dealing with things when things have gone really wrong. But actually, that's not the case with Clarion. You've evolved from a traditional legal role to a more advisory role in the growth process. So yeah, what are the benefits that this brings to businesses? Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, I pride, you know, we pride ourselves as a as a business of, of you know, of, yeah, yeah, of course, we're lawyers at heart. We know the law, you kind of expect that. If not, we're having a bad day. Um, we try and be that a little bit different. You know, it varies much that business advisory point. Um, you know, it's about us being connected. It's about us being knowing people. If we don't know something, we can normally find someone who does. You know, again, having the right tax advisors around you, the right funders in terms of what Mel does, uh, having, you know, having having the right accountants around you, having the right independent financial advice when you do make some money, how to invest it, how to grow it, develop it. You know, there's always stuff behind the, you know, behind the machinery that every business, you know, we all have the same issues and it's just talking about them, learning about them and ultimately trying to work through them together. Well, Mel, to you next then. Um, tell us about Fresh Thinking Capital and the journey that you've been on since you launched in, in 2017. So it's a few years ago now, but uh, lots happened in that time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, certainly been a roller coaster. So Fresh Thinking Capital is a private debt fund. We lend money to entrepreneurs and businesses, and it's really for them about seizing opportunities. So at any one point in time in their life cycle, they could have a mainstream funder, they could have private equity, but they want to seize an opportunity. They need to do that in a relatively 
short time frame, where do they go for that money? Uh, they come to us because we can react. We've got the money. Uh, we've got the skill set. We understand very wide ranging businesses and pretty quickly picking up a phone within 24 hours, we could sit down and talk to them and shape something, knowing they've got the underwriting of a senior team that's got the money to be able to lend. And, and tell us about some of the challenges you've faced. How have you managed and overcome these and, and particularly maybe with the help of Clarion too? Anybody in business, if they say that they've not faced challenges, uh, would be lying because that is absolutely business. It's how you deal with them. The one thing for me, resilience, you could come in one day dealing with something, thinking you're on a track to do something and actually the world changes. When the business was first established, obviously raising the funding in the first place to be able to go to market, to fill that gap, you've got to have credibility. You've got to be able to present yourself in such a way and the business in a way to be able to get that money. Infrastructure, standing start, what does that look like? How do you attract good people to the business? What's the track record look like? And culture, trying to get the right people to fit the culture that you want to create in a marketplace is exceptionally difficult right now because we've got a huge shortage of labour supply in the UK. And if you've got very good people, you want to keep onto those good people. And how do you do that? A um, couple of years into our journey, we um, was going very well. We'd, we'd done some very good, good uh, deals. We had some good stories to tell and our main thunderstroke investor at that time was subject to an acrimonious divorce and he actually pulled out. So that was a huge challenge for us. One, how do we fill that gap? Two, how do we continue as a business? And three, how do we tell the marketplace in terms of what's happening at the right time to be able to do that? Now, again, resilience is key. Planning is key. Being methodical in your approach is key having the right advisors around you. We did take advice of Clarion at the time. Uh, they dealt with us very well. They worked heaven and earth in a very short time frame to be able to secure what we needed to do. We bounced back from that. Um, looking back now, actually, it was the best thing that did happen. At the time, it didn't feel like that. Um, and we had to, again, deal with people uh, and clients in a in a professional manner to be able to overcome it. We absolutely did that. We went to market again at the right time and raised institutional investment, uh, which is very different again to raising private finance. Uh, and you need a different skill set um, and different credentials around your business to be able to attract institutional investment. But because of our history, uh, we was able to do that. And of course, COVID, dare we say it, couple of years of trauma in the mix of a very important part to us, um, having to work winding down a loan book from the first investor and winding up a new facility with the institutional funder uh, through COVID time, supporting clients that was very difficult for them and making sure that we personally didn't have bad debts is a, a testament to our team that the skills that we've got were able to do that. And, and we did that very well. Um, Mel, tell us why a growing business like your own chose to work with Clarion then to, to help with the growth process. Why, why did you choose Clarion? So as individuals, Andrew, my business partner and myself, go back a long way with Clarion. And again, that's very much about people. And we've worked with various departments, being with Jonathan, being with restructuring, being with banking, whatever, whatever it might be. And it's been fascinating to work with them, certainly in terms of their growth and to where they are today with the full service offering. The, the, the key things for us is about people. 
that partner-led approach of actually sitting across the table from a commercial basis saying, what is it that you're trying to achieve? How can we help? And very much working together to be able to do that. And it's the depth and breadth of relationships that carry that on, basically. And looking back on that experience, Mel, um, what would be the particular learnings from your own journey that you think business owners should bear in mind if they're going to follow in your footsteps? The main thing for me is look at that umbrella approach of your business. Don't always be in the thick of it. Take yourself out of it. Make sure you're 10 steps ahead of what's going on. Make sure you are forecasting. Make sure you're looking at your numbers. Make sure you are talking to key stakeholders. Make sure that you're keeping a close eye on your markets. Talk to your competition. Manage growth appropriately. Make sure that people that you know in the marketplace are readily available if you are going to take on contracts. Make sure that as personal individuals, you look after yourself mentally and physically because life is tough and life can be exciting. Life can be good, providing you're able to take an umbrella approach personally and work and think, right, what does my day look like? What does my month look like? What does my year look like? What are my goals? Um, but, But fundamentally, Don't shy away from being the person that you are, have the core values of being a nice individual and the rest will just happen. Jonathan, back to you, um, a rapidly changing business landscape as ever it is. What are the emerging legal trends or challenges that businesses should be aware of and how can they proactively address these? Every business will be facing different challenges right now as consumers tighten up their purse strings. Obviously, interest rates have increased dramatically in a very short space of time, which is obviously putting huge amounts of pressures on, you know, a lot of households around the country. Uh, that will then lead, you know, there'll be some businesses that will benefit from that massively and there'll be others that will be struggling. So again, for me, understanding, you know, as an owner, you've got to sit there and go, right, you know, first of all, can I make sure that I've, you know, I've surrounded myself with excellence, really, you know, always, you know, for me, the advice I will say to a lot of owners is, you know, don't be afraid to almost make yourself redundant. You know, essentially make sure you're recruiting top, top people who are brilliant. You've engaged them. You know where everyone stands. You've got the clear um, rules of engagement with everyone in your team. And again, creating that special culture, as Mel's talked about a lot, really does make a big difference, you know, as the landscape changes. So again, talk about the resilience point, you know, at the moment, making sure you are, you know, talking to your supply chains, you know, you are talking to your customers more, you never, you know, the minute you stand still, the minute you think you've made it is always a journey towards, towards talking to our insolvency team, <laughs> essentially, uh, because, you know, it just, it changes all the time. You know, you've now got the onset of, you know, AI coming in, you know, everyone's talking about that. Everyone's worried about being, you know, Schwarzenegger one day, uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But, you know, again, so many clients are sitting there running away from AI, whereas I think, you know, we're at the moment, you know, you've got to run towards it in many ways. It's coming. It's not going to go away. It's only going to become more and more prevalent in our business business and our culture. So, you know, that's work out how to make the best of it. And again, you know, making sure that that is embedded in the business correctly, you've got the right systems in place. You know, it could actually turn out to be very profitable for you if you get that right. So, you know, again, don't run away you know, again, it's in the whole business is bliss or you're scared of change, you know, being open-minded to change is what ultimately enables us to move forward as a, as a business culture and as a society in many ways. And Mel, to you, um, I guess a similar question, really, you, you support businesses with funding requirements to support their own growth journeys, but what key advice would you be giving your own clients to think about? Right advice at the right time is my key advice. Talk to professional people 
and have the right finance function in terms of robust information and forecasting. Loads of growing businesses, they cut corners because obviously there's, you know, there are cost implications to that. But then as they grow, because they have cut those, some of those corners, when they, when they come to go and raise that first amount of capital, um, they struggle because they just don't have all the right information together. Yeah. Actually, they've not got basic stuff like, you know, their share register up to date. Uh, they haven't done their filings properly. You know, they haven't taken loads of um, loads of great advantages that they could have taken on some 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 tax schemes, for example, or they've not got their R and D credits right. Um, the, the, then, when you're looking at that as a as a funder, you just think, Christ, you know, you, you can't. Your house is in order. Mm-hmm. So, what confidence have I got that you're going to be able to a work with us really well, be a good partner, and, and ultimately repay us? Absolutely. So, yeah, again, as Mel rightly says. There's an awful lot of people out there who will just talk to you, uh, you know, obviously, Chloe and Will Happily, um, around all these little intricacies. And these aren't big step changes. You know, these no. aren't a fortune. But it is just, say, having, you know, when you are a growing business, having someone who knows what they're doing from the finance point of view, you can get in one day a week um, on a set contract to come in and just take things, you know, control it and just give you that, uh, f- you know, f- financial guidance. Um and hygiene, you know, financial hygiene in many ways that you need that makes you look so much more credible. Yeah, I think, I think again, going back to the point on people, we don't just lend money as a business and a lot of funders don't just lend money out there. The key to it is the advice that comes with that. And I think a lot of our clients do come back in terms of recurring opportunities because they like the advice that they get. And the depth and breadth of our particular team, we've done everything from banking through to corporate finance, restructuring. We've bought and sold our own businesses. So we are entrepreneurs ourselves, which is very unique in a world of finance. So you can kind of relate to uh, the empathy of, of, of businesses as to the struggles that they find. So we're not only giving the money, but we're giving the advice that comes with that. And typically it could be a scenario where they need a, a legal input, for instance, and obviously people like Clarion where they come into it. So the strength of your own network that you're giving through that money is something that businesses don't necessarily understand when they are taking money. They might just think, well, it's just money. It's the relationship piece that you have over the journey of their business. And that's what's so important to make sure that it isn't just about money. It isn't just about a contract. It's the longevity of we care about businesses and people. And, and finally, Jonathan, if somebody's listening to this right now, they're, they're a, a business owner, needs help with their business. How do they get in touch with Clarion? Very easily. Uh, <laughs> you can just simply type in uh, Clarion into Google. Uh, we will pop up. The website is uh, awesome. I'm going to say that because I'm clearly very biased. All of our details are there. And also, you know, again, we're all on the social media. So feel free to go onto LinkedIn as well. We are, we are all there waiting to listen and uh, to receive your email or phone call. Fantastic stuff. Well, Jonathan and Mel, thanks for joining us on The Purple Chair. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks very much, yeah. Thank you for listening to The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. And please don't forget to hit subscribe and rate it as well. To find out more about how Clarion can help you or your business, head to clarionsolicitors.com. Until next time, from me, Ian Brannan, and my guests, Jonathan, Carolyn, Stephanie, and Mel, goodbye. Goodbye.